All right, well, we are in Deuteronomy chapter 17, picking up where we left off last week, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. And chapters 17 and 18 are unique in that they are going to move pretty quickly for some different laws, and it is laws for the priests, for the kings, and for the prophets. And so we're going to be flipping pretty quickly through them. And again, we want to see the application in its original context, and then we want to see what the Lord has for us as well. So let's begin with the word of prayer, and we're going to read verses 1 through 5 together. Lord, every week we come before you, and every week you continue to encourage us, teach us, correct us, reproof us, Lord. We pray that we would continue to grow in your word day after day, week after week. We thank you that your word is profitable for all. And we thank you, Lord, that it always return, never returns void. And so we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. I bet in the book of Exodus when they had all those frogs, <laughs> could you imagine like thousands of those things going off? Millions. Get behind me. <laughs> and if you're online, you're like, what in the world is going on? There is the loudest frog out there right now. It must be right outside the window. Only in South Carolina, only in the low country. All right, everybody, let's get back to it. Verses 1 through 5 together. You shall not sacrifice to the Lord your God a bull or a sheep, which has any blemish or defect, for that is an abomination to the Lord your God. If there is found among you within any of your gates, which the Lord your God gives you, a man or a woman who has been wicked in the sight of the Lord your God, in transgressing his covenant who has gone and served other gods and worshipped them, either the sun or the moon or any of the host of heaven, which I have not commanded, and it is told you, and you hear of it, then you shall inquire diligently. And if it is indeed true and certain that such an abomination has been committed in Israel, then you shall bring out to your gates that man or woman who has committed that wicked thing, and you shall stone to death, that man or woman with stones. I mean, this is as serious as it gets. It is interesting to me that the Word of God, it is not only historical, it records the past. It's not only the revelation of God, his, the mind of God, the thoughts of God, but it's also prophetic. It tells the future. Now, Most of these prophecies in the Bible, we can see them with historical accuracy. What does that mean? That means that we can look at things that were said before they happened, we can see how they happened, and then we can apply them. For example, here it says, you shall not sacrifice to the Lord your God a bull or sheep which has any blemish or defect, for it is an abomination to the Lord your God. And then it gives a law for what happens if that happens. But If you go to the book of Malachi, you will see that is the number one offense that the nation of Israel was committing at that time. Malachi, the prophet, was telling the nation of Israel, hey, God is saying that he is very upset that you are offering blind animals, offering animals that had defects, second best, not even second best, like the worst, and bringing them to God. See, God knows all these things are going to happen before they happen. That's why he puts them in there. I have never seen, until I came to the South, minimum speed limits. I, I never saw that in all of America. You definitely didn't have that in California. 
And in California, if you saw a speed limit, that was just a suggestion. If you actually went the speed limit in California, they will run you off the road. I, I hear it's like that up north, too. But you come to the south, and every once in a while, you'll see minimum speed limit. Why do they put that there? Because somebody's doing it. That's what goes on in my mind. Who is doing that? Why do they have such a problem with minimum speed in the South that they're willing to invest thousands upon thousands of dollars to make these signs, put these signs on a truck, get this job? Somebody has to go dig the hole, put the sign in there. They're not doing it for no reason. And so when we see these laws, God's not doing it for no reason. Somebody's doing it. There's a reason for this. There's a purpose. I love that our perfect sacrifice is Jesus Christ because we don't give the best of anything to God. Even if we offer our whole selves, we're not without blemish. We're not without sin. We're, the Bible tells us clearly that if we say we have no sin, we make God a liar. So obviously we've got nothing to bring to him that can meet the mark. What do we offer to God that meets his standard? Nothing. So how can we even come to God? Through our perfect sacrifice, Jesus Christ, who is without blemish, without sin, never did anything wrong, perfect. And it's through him that we're able to come to God. Otherwise, we all fall short. The question then becomes, how did the Old Testament believer, how did a a Jewish person hearing these words from Moses as he's speaking them or reading them aloud, how did they come to God? What was a perfect animal and what was not was decided by the priests and they would go through the law and they would try and figure it out what was perfect and what was not were they coming to god because of the animal were they coming to god on their own merit because they were able to keep the law no the bible tells us in the book of hebrews the just shall live by faith old testament believers came through faith in jesus christ the same way that we do and you're like, whoa, 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 wait a minute. Jesus Christ didn't come from a thousand years from the time this was written. They came by the same faith of the Messiah that was to come. They didn't know that he was going to be born in Nazareth in around 3 B.C., 3 A.D., somewhere in that area. They, they didn't know the exact place. They didn't know he was going to come in a major. They didn't know that his name... They knew his name was Emmanuel, but they didn't know it would be Jesus. They didn't know those things, but they knew the Messiah was coming. It was prophesied. And they came through the same faith that we did. That's what the Lord shares with us. Remember, how was Abraham justified? By By his works? No, by his faith. Abraham was justified by faith in God before he even left to follow the Lord. Um, That's what the book of Hebrews tells us. Why is this so important? For this very reason, when we look at it in their original context, the nation of Israel was set aside to be separate. They were to be God's chosen people. And this unique situation with this unique people group at this unique time said, by law of God, that if anyone worshipped anyone but God, they were to be stoned to death. We are not under that covenant any longer. First of all, we're a kingdom of priests through the blood of Jesus Christ. We're in his family by faith alone. But we do not judge non-believers this way. We don't judge the America this way. We do ourselves. <clears throat> First, we're twisting the scriptures, and then we're doing ourselves as Christian a disfavor. When we're trying to reconcile the Old Testament law 
with America, with the United States of America. The United States of America can't run on the Old Testament law. No one can keep the law. No one can, much less the believer, especially not the non-believer. The Bible tells us in the book of Romans, no man seeks after God. No, not one. So how can you judge him by God's law? Now, there are universal laws by, for sure. I'm building this foundation because we're going to be talking about some different things that are going to affect the way that we think in America as Christians and the way that we think about our government. Most important thing that we have to build, that we have to build off, our chief cornerstone, our firm foundation, is that we are saved by faith alone in Christ alone. We have access to God through the veil. We can come boldly to God through Christ alone. And it's through Christ alone that we have a relationship with God. We have a new heart. We are a new creation. We are a new person. When we begin to add laws and we begin to say faith plus works equals salvation, we are in error. Salvation comes by faith alone in Christ alone. In Ephesians 2, it says, lest any man should boast, comes through him. Now, the death penalty was ordained by God. Remember the last few weeks we kind of mentioned it? It's a hot button item. If you get anything out of tonight, anything at all, I want you to remember it's faith alone by Christ alone. But second is that we have to be very, very careful as Christians when we become known on certain very difficult stances as black and white, yes or no, 100% in, 100% out. Because we are, we are not representing the Lord well in those areas, and there is many nuances to these situations. And I, I hope I bring some clarity so that we can see it's not black and white. This is coming from a guy, me, who used to think that all these things were black and white. Like there was just, this is the way it needs to be done. This is what the Bible says. Do it this way. Well, grace changes. God doesn't change. His truth doesn't change. His word is, cannot be corrupted and changed. The variable here is the sinfulness of man. That's the variable. Our sinfulness and our ability to rule each other, to govern each other, especially in a world where the majority of people are not serving one another under the Lord. We are ruling and leading each other under government officials that are non-believers. So it's a whole different world. <clears throat> what am I talking about? Let's read verses 6 and 7. I'm going to build, keep building on top of this. This is going to be like a pyramid. Whoever is deserving of death shall be put to death on the testimony of two or three witnesses. He shall not be put to death on the testimony of one witness. The hands of the witness shall be the first against him to put him to death. And afterwards, the hand of all the people. So you shall put away the evil from among you. Let's start with its original context. In the nation of Israel, in the context of someone has been found worshiping a moon god, a false god. The Bible told us previously in the first five chapters, research this diligently. You can't just have this off of hearsay. You can't just have it off of gossip. Full-on investigation. Then what does it say here? This is serious. This is the death penalty in the nation of Israel. Two or three witnesses, which makes me wonder, when is it two and when is it three? 
Like, if there's only two, I'd be like, yeah, but you need three. Yeah, but it says two or three. Yeah, it says or three, but it says uh, but two. It's, if it's your life on the line, it's a different standard, isn't it? What else does it say here that is very unique to the people of Israel? If you are a witness, not only do you need to testify in front of your whole community, you have to be so sure of your testimony that you are going to pick the rock up and you are going to do it yourself. The witnesses are first. They are saying that not only did I see this, I am so sure of it that in the presence of all the people and perhaps the perpetrator's family, I am willing to begin this act. Whoa. I don't think that this happened very often. I I really don't know. I don't have the historical uh, data here from that time period. I don't even know if it was faithfully completed, to be honest. The death penalty is a biblical punishment. That is crystal clear. That being said, what about the New Testament? What about us? What about Christians? Because there are Christians that are radically opposed to the death penalty. There are Christians who think that the death penalty should be enacted for almost everything. We hope they're joking. But maybe some do take it a little more extreme than others. And then there's everybody in between. What is a biblical discussion about this? The most important thing I want you guys to know is what does the scripture say? In Romans chapter 13, it says that the government, the Gentile Roman government, who are non-believers, are given the authority of the sword. That is to make war. That is to exercise corporal punishment. That has been placed by God. The Bible also tells us If I'm going to disagree with anything in Scripture, which means I'm wrong, by the way, that the authorities that have been put in power are ordained by God. Now, now I want us to really let this fully sink in because who are they speaking of in the book of Romans when they say that? They are speaking of Gentile, pagan-worshipping, anti-Christian government authorities And the Bible says in the book of Romans, they have been put there and ordained by God. They're peacemakers. They keep the order. I'm like, what in the world? I don't like that. But that is what the scripture says. So we have to ask ourselves here. This is going to be challenging. Are we going to be Bible-believing Christians? Or are we going to be religious fundamentalists? There's a big difference. Religious fundamentalists are going to follow a certain culture or set of ideas that are imposed or interpreted by man. Biblical Christians are going to allow their worldview to be changed by the Bible. I believe that a healthy Christian is able to have biblical discussions about these um, incidences in the Bible and realize that it's not as crystal clear as we sometimes make it out to be. Again, I fully told you guys, I came from the camp of black and white. This is easy. No negotiation. This is the way it should be. How can I say that biblically? Mike, you just told us here in Deuteronomy 17, death penalty, okay. You just told us in Romans 13, death penalty, okay. There is a situation with Jesus himself. The adulterous woman is brought. There are two or three witnesses. She is guilty of the law. She was caught in adultery in the act. There were several witnesses. 
Jesus has the authority to judge here and say, yep, we've got to keep the law. But what does Jesus say with the adulterous woman? Remember, he begins to write in the sand, write in the dirt, and all the accusers disappear. <clears throat> and the adulterous woman, Jesus begins to have a conversation with her. Where are your accusers? They're not here, Lord. And what does he say? Neither do I accuse you. Go and sin no more. Now, I want us to think about this at a deeper level. If Jesus was over here, uh, the people that wanted the death penalty for every infraction, we'd all be dead. Think about that. The punishment for sin is death. We would all be dead. But he's not. Now, does that mean, oh, Mike's gone anti-death penalty? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. No. But this is much more nuanced than we think. I can... uh, let's talk again about Jesus because this situation will be used by those that say we should never have the death penalty to say, oh, Jesus wasn't for the death penalty. Look at this. No, no. Let's look at it legally. What did it say there in Deuteronomy chapter 7? You have to have two or three witnesses. How many witnesses were there? All the witnesses were gone. Jesus followed the law perfectly. There are no, there's not enough witnesses. Case closed. Dismissed. Jesus follows the law perfectly. He is the law. He is the word of God. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. It is him. He is the logos. If you want to understand the law, follow Jesus. If you don't want to learn the law and you're like, I can't wait till we get out of Deuteronomy so we can go into Joshua and Judges, then just keep reading Jesus. You'll learn everything you need to know about the law. So Jesus was not anti-death penalty either. What he is was pro-human, pro-soul. The Bible tells us clearly God came into the world not to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He came to the sick to heal spiritually. He came to the dead to rise them up because we were all dead in our trespasses and sins. We shouldn't be looking so quickly to destroy everyone. Now, last week I gave a little bit of that, uh, my position of why it's more nuanced Our government's not perfect. Our legal system, again, I believe this government and this legal system is the best problem going, the best broken system on the planet, because wherever there's people, there's what? Well-trained, well-trained. There's people problems. Your lawyer could have a good day or a bad day. The judge could have a good day or a bad day. The sheriff, the prosecutor could be looking for a promotion, and no matter what you say, he's going to go after you. There are people in America today that are alive and free because DNA exonerated them after 30 years in prison, 25 years in prison, and they were proven innocent. No one's given them their life back. We do have brokenness in our best broken system going. So with that being said, can we, with 100% clarity and 100% peace of mind, say yes, I want to go with this system no matter what, you know, death penalty, no problem. Because that's, that's irreversible to everyone but Jesus. Irreversible. We need to be able to listen to both sides as a Christian and not be religious fundamentalists that are stuck on our dogma. We need to be biblical Christians that are able to stand for fundamental biblical truth, but also able to speak with other God-fearing biblical Christians that may have a different viewpoint and be able to discuss it rationally instead of just being flippant about it. 
Too many Christians today are very flippant about death, whether it be weapons, whether it be punishment, whether it be warfare, whether all kinds of different things. And we say all kinds of silly things in our water heater, our water heater talk, I'm plumber here, in our water cooler talk. And we, and we jest too much. We need to be very careful that we represent the Lord. All right, now, <clears throat> let's read verses 18, 8 through 13. We're going to switch things up a little bit. If a matter arises which is too hard for you to judge between degrees of guilt for bloodshed, between one judgment or another, or between one punishment or another, matters of controversy within your gates, then you shall arise and go up to the place which the Lord your God chooses. And you shall come to the priests, the Levites, and to judge there, and to the judge there in those days, and inquire of them. They shall pronounce upon you the sentence of judgment. You shall do according to the sentence which they pronounce upon you in that place which the Lord chooses. And you shall be careful to do according to all that they order you, according to the sentence of the law in which they instruct you, according to the judgments which they tell you, you shall do. You shall not turn aside to the right hand or to the left from the sentence which they pronounce upon you. Verse 12. Now the man who acts presumptuously and will not heed the priest who stands to minister there before the Lord your God or the judge, that man shall die. So you shall put away the evil from Israel, and all the people shall hear and fear and no longer act presumptuously. So if the, if there's a court of appeals process here. So if this is building off on the previous portions of this chapter, if you find somebody that is worshiping a false god, you're going to investigate very thoroughly. Don't, don't be flippant about this. Then you're going to have two or three witnesses that are willing to cast stones themselves. But let's say there's an impasse. There's not an agreement. There's some, maybe some mixed testimony up. Maybe there's some evidence for the defense, and they don't know what to do. Then they're to go to this court of appeals. They're to go to the Levites, to the priests, and they're to inquire of them and to have this case brought out. Now, what they say here is if they decide not to follow this judgment, it's the death penalty. The court is at the highest level here of respect. If you don't follow the court system in the nation of Israel at that time, you get the death penalty. I have a feeling that the litigation process in Israel, much different than the United States of America today. Because we could all nod our heads and say, we have so many ridiculous court cases for nothing, made up things. Could you imagine if these frivolous lawsuits if they found out that if you don't obey the court case, you are going to get the death penalty, you're not going to bring those things anymore. But what is the punishment in America? And this is an observation, just an observation. What is the punishment for bringing false litigation? What is the, what is the punishment if I go and I sue a corporation because um, I hit my big toe on their product? There's no punishment for that, just the cost and expense to go do it. So but what's the incentive? I, I could make millions of dollars to do that. And then we wonder why in our society things are the way they are. I don't think that was happening in the nation of Israel at that time. I mean, because lives were on the line when you were going to these different courts. Now, I, I want to show some things here that I want to point out. Same thing that we did in the previous section. 
Do we trust our pastors in judgments like this? Do we trust our pastors to lead? Now, if we talk about America in general, I'm going to say absolutely not. Absolutely not. There are a great many pastors in America today that don't even believe the Bible's inerrant, which is where wisdom comes from. So we just threw that all out. I I would trust a secular judge over a pastor that doesn't believe the Bible. What are you even teaching? Like, What wisdom do you have to share with us? Uh, Imagine a United States of America where the pastors and teachers are so respected that the government, that people in general are going to them for wisdom and judgment in the toughest cases. What would this nation be like? Well, that's what this nation used to be like centuries ago. If you were to ask um, some of the founding fathers, you can go to uh, fact check at wallbuilders.com. I always want to plug those guys. They have writings from the original founding fathers saying that the people that they respected the most during the revolution before and during were pastors, that they were some of the key influencers for the Declaration of Independence, for the Constitution that came uh, years later, for the understanding of the direction they were going to go in rebellion to Britain or the United Kingdom at that time. Pastors were the key influencers. They were the community organizers. The whole town was surrounded, uh, was surrounded around the church, on the word of God. Our schools, the number one textbook in America, first, the first century of our country, was the Bible. How far we have digressed that when I say it, even as a pastor, I say absolutely not. Have you watched Christian television, religious television? I wouldn't trust any of those people to park my car much less make a judgment. In the nation of Israel, it was not to be so. But let's not think that the nation of Israel was so glamorous. Did they keep the law? Let's talk about that in the next section here, verses 14 through 17. When you come to the Lord, excuse me, when you come to the land which the Lord your God is giving you and possess it and dwell in it and say, I will set a king over me like all the nations that are around me, You shall surely set a king over you whom the Lord your God chooses. One from among your brethren you shall set as king over you. You may not set a foreigner over you who is not your brother, but he shall not multiply horses for himself, nor cause the people to return to Egypt to multiply horses. For the Lord has said to you, you shall not return that way again. Verse 17, neither shall he multiply wives for himself, lest his heart turn away nor shall he greatly multiply silver and gold for himself. I left that little cliffhanger on the last portion here because for 400 years, the nation of Israel is going to go through the book of Judges where they will obey the Lord, they will fall away from the Lord, the Lord will restore them with the judge. Cycle, cycle, rinse, repeat. Over and over again, the nation of Israel, after the death of Joshua, is going to continue to rebel and turn away from the Lord for 400 years. God ultimately did not want a king over Israel. God was to lead them. But they couldn't do it. They couldn't do it. And then they begged Samuel, can we have a king? The Lord is prophesying this. He's telling them, when you do this, because he knows it's going to come. But what else does he know is going to come? He knows that Saul is going to be raised up, King Saul. 
He knows that Saul's going to break the covenant and doesn't seek after him. And who does he know he's going to make the second king of Israel? King David. And who's going to come from King David? And remember, King David came from the family of Ruth, which we just went through. We know that God's going to make a promise to David. From your seed will come a king. Well, all the nations of the world will follow. Jesus himself, the king of kings, the Alpha and the Omega. Egypt's back. <laughs> so I'm saying this because we'll even look, look at the book of Deuteronomy and we'll look at the laws of the nation of Israel with rosy glasses and we'll say, oh, man, we should just do it like they did. No, you can't. That's the whole point of the gospel. They couldn't do it. They couldn't, they couldn't do it. They couldn't keep it. They didn't do it. And that's why we can't be just religious organizers, just religious people. We need to be biblical Christians. All these warnings that God gives them, they will break them. Even to the point that Saul, King David, and Solomon to the extreme will break all of these rules. What are the rules here? Don't go after horses. Don't go after wives. Don't go after material gain. No. Someone needs to go gigging. Someone watching this in California has no idea what I'm talking about. Good. All these things that God warns against happens. Why, though? Why is it important? Verse 17, lest his heart turn away, nor shall he greatly multiply silver and gold for himself. Listen, America, we are so rich. And here's something else I want you to think about in the United States of America. As citizens of this country, we are all kings. We are all rulers of this country collectively. And we have multiplied for ourselves horses and silver and gold, promiscuity, all these things we've multiplied towards, and it's turning our heart away from God. Are you spending as much time in the Bible as you are on your television? Are you spending as much time reading and praying as you are on your telephone? Are you spending as much time with the Lord as you are? No, because we're distracted. But if you've been a missionary or if you've been overseas, many people here have, and you go to Africa, portions of Africa, because, again, we don't want a huge, I don't want to put a broad brudge on an entire continent of people, but there are whole cultures in the planet today that have none of those things, although I hear that's changing. The third world, they don't have shoes, but they have cell phones. I don't, I don't get it. Satan, I guess. They're not distracted. They don't have distractions. You know, when I hear stories in Africa of three-and-a-half-hour church services, I'm like, you're crazy. And they're like, yeah, that's when they get started. How distracted are we? See, we, we want to apply this to somebody else, but we need to be thinking about ourselves. What did King Solomon say about all the riches of the world? and all? Vanity, vanity, all is vanity. And then what was that verse that Reggie shared? Being in your presence is better than life. Worshiping you is better than life, better than living, being with God. And I said to myself, amen, the Holy Spirit just confirmed that, yes. So there's a, a lot of application for us here. Let's read verses now 18 through 20. Also it shall be, when he sits on the throne of his kingdom, that he shall write for himself a copy of this law in a book from the one before the priests. The Levites, excuse me, let's read that correctly. 
Also it shall be when he sits on the throne of his kingdom that he shall write for himself a copy of the law in a book from the ones before the priests, the Levites. Verse 19. And it shall be with him, and he shall read it all the days of his life, that he may learn to fear the Lord his God and be careful to observe all the words of this law and these statutes. That is, his heart may not be lifted above his brethren, that he may not turn aside from the commandment to the right hand or to the left, and that he may prolong his days in his kingdom, he and his children in the midst of Israel. It seems to me that the Holy Spirit's been kind of speaking through the church because I've been hearing it from a couple of other pastors. I've been hearing it more and more. People have been mentioning it. What happened to the church that daily Bible reading is no longer important to us? Daily Bible reading. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. How important is this? The king of Israel is commanded to handwrite a copy of the Bible, to keep it with him, to use it for judgments, unless he be lifted up above his brother. If David had been obedient with this, could he have been with Bathsheba? Would he have destroyed his friend and confidant, Uriah the Hittite? Would he have made these decisions if he were at his desk transcribing the word of God in an ink pen? On a giant scroll? No, what was he doing? He was gawking through the window instead. How important is this? We take it all for granted that we have the Word of God in every translation. I'm literally translating it into different languages on my phone. Oh, I don't want to learn that language. Google Translate. And I got it. Latin, Greek, Aramaic, Hebrew, different contexts. I got different Hebrew scholars from different centuries in the world, from different continents. I just put them together and go through it like I'm carousing through an old record album store. Remember when we used to have those? Ancient days. Oh, yeah. Mm, nope, nope. Oh, yeah. This guy's life work? Nope. Thank you. Oh, I like this guy. He's easier to read. But then when you look at our history in the world and what it took to get the Word of God in our own languages, people were burned at the stake. They gave up their lives in painful death so that we could have a copy of the Word of God in our own language that we could understand. And we just let it sit there. We would rather watch that garbage on TV. Kings are commanded by God to stay in the Word of God every day. And in America, remember, I made that analogy, we are all kings in this nation. We are all equals. It's Mr. President. Why is it Mr. President? Because he's not a king over us. We tell him when he's in power. We tell officials in this country they represent us for a certain amount of time, and then they get out. We act today in the 21st century like they're kings, but they are citizen servants. If there's an area that we want to apply Old Testament law, let's apply this one. Psalm 119, the largest chapter, the largest book of the Bible, it's not a book, but the largest chapter of the Bible, largest section of the Bible, over and over again, what is he, how does a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed thereunto his word. Over and over, the importance of the word of God. We're taught in Ephesians that men who are leading households should be washing their wives in the water of the word. We should be reading the Bible to our wives. We should be 
meditating and spending time on the word of God, which is useful for instruction, for correction, for reproof. And earlier, we quoted one of the most popular verses. Jesus is the word of God. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He is the Logos. You want to know Jesus, know your Bible. Know the word of God. Be careful to observe all the words of this law and these statutes. Verse 20, that his heart may not be lifted above his brethren, that he may not turn aside from the commandment to the right hand or to the left. Finally, let me point this out about this chapter. Anyone who obeys verses 18 through 20 doesn't have to worry about falling away on any of the rest of this chapter. If you're staying in the word of God, are you going to worship false gods? If you're staying in the word of God, how will you be corrupted by false teachers? How would you be corrupted by cults? How would you be corrupted by the world? When you spend time in the presence of God, everything else is not even second best. It's like the trash. And then you don't have to have accusers. You don't have to have people making accusations against you. You're going to live a a life above reproof. That's a fancy way of just saying a life that is going to be hard to criticize as you walk with the Lord. They can make stuff up, but they're going to have to lie. The word of God was supposed to be a constant companion. You won't be before courts. What did we learning in Corinthians? Paul said, the Lord uses the foolish things of this world to confound the wise. That not many mighty, not many great, but the meek. How so? Because the Lord gives them wisdom through his word. There's no power in and of themselves, the apostles and teachers. The power comes from the word of God. I'm going to close with one story. Uh, My friend Landon, you guys remember him, the giant Igor guy that comes with Pastor Mark, his son, led worship here? Yeah, he knows I'm making fun of him. Don't worry. I remember when I first became a believer, I was so jealous of that guy. I mean, he got a couple brothers. His dad's a pastor. They all love in the Lord. They, They read the Bible every day. I didn't. You guys know my background. That is not my family. I remember one time we were at a, a church potluck, just like we had here on uh, last Sunday, just a gathering together. And I remember it was me and him off to the side. We were at Nahoe Falls. You people that are from Lompoc know that place. We we're about the same age. In fact, he's a little bit younger than I am. And, and I'm sharing him these difficulties I'm going through. I'm sharing with him these different sins I'm struggling with. And he's just looking at me with big old saucer eyes like, bro, you're kind of wild. And he said to me, you know what, I don't really know anything about that. I don't know about how you're, I don't know any of those things. I haven't tried any of those things. I don't know any of those things. I really don't know. All I know is what the word of God says. And then he shared with me the Bible. He shared a couple of verses with me. And that, those words radically changed my life. My life. And, I, and he was kind of embarrassed by it. I said, you have no idea what God has done. But because you haven't done those things, because you didn't have those experiences, because you, you have lived this different life, you didn't come to me and be like, oh, yeah, bro, I know what that's like. It's tough, but you know what? If you just stick it out, it'll all work out. Oh, yeah, you know, I've been there too. It's not so bad. Oh, yeah, remember that? I did that twice. No, he couldn't do that. All he had was the word of God. All I needed was the word of God. All that other stuff would have gotten in the way. If the Lord had put another person in that situation that had similar circumstances as me, it would not have had the effect as having 
a few verses to share. And the funny part is he was almost embarrassed to share. It's like, all, all I have is the word. Meditate on that, I pray. Well, let's spend the rest of this hour praying, interceding for one another. We usually close out the hour praying one at a time, loud enough that we can all agree together. Let's go before the Lord. Thank you so much, Lord. Your word, sharp, powerful. Discerner, Lord, of the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. I pray that we would leave here with a greater appreciation, a greater respect, but also that we would work in the word, Lord, that we would be the kings that are constantly in your word. Help us to be wise in discussion. Help us to represent you well. Help us to be discerning of the times, Lord. What does your word say about these different things that Christians are constantly repeating? What does it actually say, Lord? And write it on the tablets of our heart. You know that apart from you, we can do nothing, Lord. Left to our own devices, we would just even misinterpret it, Lord. But we pray that your spirit would be continue to encourage us, to lead us, and empower us. Guide us in prayer this evening, in Jesus' name. Amen.